All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Well, as you know, uh, here in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he deals with different theological subject matters, as you heard me mention early on. Certainly the book of Romans is the most theological book of the New Testament. One of those subject matters that Paul has hit on, starting actually in chapter 3, has been the issue of the law, or more specifically, the moral law. Now, there are some Jewish believers in the church who have come out of, obviously, come out of Judaism, and therefore, Paul feels, based on some of the things that he has stated thus far, that some of them might be confused. they got a lot going on here, and they're just kind of thinking, hmm... And so he understands that. Paul himself is a Jew, and so he understands the difficulty uh, in this transition. On one side, many of these Jews feels like the law is their guidebook for life. They were brought up that way. They were taught that way for their entire life. This is my guidebook. But yet, on the other side, now you have the Apostle Paul, who is, is, is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and yet he is, he's making comments like, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Matter of fact, he's as blunt as simply saying, you are not under the law. You're under grace. He even said, we've been released from the law so that we now serve in the new way of the Spirit, or we're led, guided by the Holy Spirit, he says, not under the written code, okay? Well, reading these scriptures, uh, Paul knows some of them are going to be thinking, well, what are we to do with it? Are we to just, just set it aside? If that's the case, what is the purpose of the law? They don't quite get it. And therefore, Paul has decided to really answer their question here in chapter 7 and do it from a perspective of his own personal testimony, okay? As I stated last week, from verses 7 through 25, he uses the words, I, me, and myself, a totality of 25 times in those verses, so Paul here is teaching the church the purpose, the reason for the law, while not only uh, allowing us a sneak, uh, sneak peek at his previous life, his life before Christ, but as we'll see this morning, what also takes place at the moment after he has come to faith in Christ. Now last week uh, in chapter 7, uh, verses 9 through 12, were. What Paul said in verse 5 and verse 8 actually began, if you will, to come alive. He said in verse 5, the sinful passions, listen, aroused by the law, right? There's sinful passions inside of us, right? Our sin nature are aroused by the law. He says they are at work in our bodies. Okay, catch that. The law of God arouses the sinful passions within us. Verse 8 says, sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, it produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So God's law spoke divine truth, and the sin within us says, well, now I want to go directly against that. That's who we are. 
When I internalized, it's like Paul is saying here, when I internalized the law for what it says, when I grasped the command, because Paul was specifically talking about do not covet, but he, it's, it can apply to any of the entire law. But when Paul is saying, when I grasp that command, do not covet, the sin within me desired all the more to covet. See? Similarly, he went on to say there in verse 9, he said, when the commandment came, what happened? Sin sprang to life. Wow, when the commandment came, sin just sprang to life. His point in these verses is this is what the law does. He's helping these Jews to grasp. You want to know what the law is for? You want to know why it's there, why God has given it to us? This is it. When Paul finally came to grips with the law of God, he said sin sprang to life, almost as if sin was sitting dormant with inside him, just waiting, right? But when the law said, do not covet, right? You can read it, do not covet. The sin within him began to say, wow, that's exactly what I want to do, right? According to verse 10, Paul realized something at that moment. He says, I found out that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. When Paul began to internalize the law, because remember, all these Jews always externalized it, right? It was always external. But when he began to truly let it sink in, what is God saying? What am I to do? When he began to understand it, okay, take it for what it was really saying, he recognized he had it wrong all along. You see, the Jews felt that by observance of the law would give them eternal life, right? They're right with God. It's all good. But he found out that God's standards for life, that which the Jews were supposed to live out every single day, not only did not bring them life, but it gave them death. Trying to live under the law demonstrated to Paul that he failed God. He sinned and he sinned over and over that very same law that the Old Testament says would, would bless those who walk in its ways, right? Was the very same law where you find out you couldn't do that without failing. You are blessed if you walk in these ways. So you try to walk in those ways and you realize you can't. You're going to fail. That same law that says follow me also says you're not going to be able to do it perfectly. Not perfectly. You're going to fail. Paul found out the hard way. He says in verse 11, sin deceived me, he said in verse 11. Just when Paul was convinced, he convinced himself, I'm going to live, I'm going to be faithful to God's law, the sin within him said, <laughs> not going to happen. Not going to happen. Why, why is that? Because as I read earlier in verse 5, the sinful passions within us, are aroused by the very law that we want to obey, right? It's that rebellion. God says this. Now, I really don't want to do that. That rebellious nature within us doesn't like being told what to do. Live this way. I don't like that. See, matter of fact, the sinfulness now motivates us to do just the opposite. 
the very truth of the law of God is turned on its head. And now it's a passion to sin. The moral standards of a holy God made Paul want to do the very thing that God despised. And we'll hear about that just in a little bit. All that being said, the law, as Paul said earlier, does not cause people to sin. That law does not cause people to sin. It is our nature's, our, our natural, I should say, our natural response to that law. That's the problem. To make that very clear, he told us in verse 12, he said, look at the law is holy. It is righteous. It is good. I mean, he, made, he made it very clear. The law isn't the issue. Okay? But they want to know, what's the, what's the deal with the law? Because you keep saying, we don't live by it anymore. We're not under it. What's the reason? I'm giving you the reason, he's saying. Okay? But in, in that, he doesn't want people to misunderstand him. The law is good. The law is holy. It's not the law's fault that you respond wrongly. And so whether we like it or not, the moral laws of God were doing what they were intended to do, and that is to prove to a sinful world that they are, we are, an absolute mess. Awful sinners. Because we literally fail, we stick our finger, our nose in the eyes of God, and we say, I don't like your moral standards. I want to do it my way. Because that's what sin is, is it not, really? Isn't sin just saying no? Sin is saying no to God. I don't want to do it. I want to do it my way instead. That's what it is. That when we sin, that's what we're doing. We're telling God that uh, I don't want to do it that way. Now, thankfully, it helps us to understand as God's plan that we need forgiveness. Hopefully, we, when we realize that, we're going to go, you know what? I can't do this. I need to be forgiven of these sins. And therefore, guess what? I need a Savior. And thankfully, God provided one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we're moving into verses 13 and following, ultimately up to verse 25, which is the end of the chapter, okay? Paul is going to continue to discuss for these, all the rest of these verses the ramifications of the law. And in the end, okay, in the end, uh, what it does is simple. It simply shows us the righteous standard of a perfectly holy God, okay, and how each and every person cannot live up to that standard, okay? Why? Because we sin. Because we fail to do what God has commanded. God, in His 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 infinite wisdom, His perfection, His majesty, His holiness. That very nature has been put over into his law, is it not? From God, it's holy and righteous and perfect and majestic. It's God's holy word. And we're going to understand that, you know what? We can't keep up with that. We struggle, right? And let me just say that before I begin this morning by going into verse 13. For you have to start with perfection. Okay, What I mean by that is you have to start with the moral law of God or all of this doesn't work. What do I mean by that? Millions of people 
including Christians and probably some of us in here are guilty of this. Millions of people love to compare themselves with who? Other people. We love to do that. You see, folks, it's very easy to find someone that you think is a worse person than you. Even if you're doing it subconsciously, you're looking at somebody else's life and you're thinking, and you're, oh, I wouldn't do that. I would never say that, right? I would never act that way. We love to do that. And instead of recognizing that we're both screwed up people, you simply pat yourself on the back by saying, I'm a much better person than the other guy is. We do that, okay? That's the problem. Matter of fact, God himself is actually pleased with me. He's probably pleased with me because my sins are less horrific, much less horrific than that guy or that guy or that guy. The problem with that thinking, folks, is that God does not grade on a curve, does he? God doesn't say, oh, you're right, you did much better than the other guy. You're good to go. No, he does not grade on a curve, and his standard is not another sinner. It's not, never has been. His standard is perfection. Do we understand that? God's standard is perfection. God is not going to compare you to another sinner, but what he is going to compare you to is his holy law. And when he does that, it's not going to be looking so good, is it? We look at, we compare ourselves with somebody else and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. But when we put ourselves up against the holy law of God, we're going, oh, huh, you kind of, that's a head scratcher. I don't quite stand up against that, do I? That's the key. So taking that now and moving into verse 13, Paul just said in verse 12, the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. And now he says in verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. That's the law, of course. So that through the commandment, sin might be utterly sinful. So as we start this verse, what, what, what Paul has done, he's, he's going to do again. A couple different times in this letter, as you know, he has, uh, he's asked questions. And so what he's doing here is the same thing. He wants to make sure that his readers, that him and his readers are, are, are uniformly together. They're, they have a common understanding, okay? So he wants to make sure there's no misunderstanding between what he's saying and what they're hearing, Okay, and so therefore, what does he do? He asks a question, like he's done prior, and then he simply asks, he answers the question. He'll ask it, and then he'll, he'll answer it. So he asks the question here, is, did that which is good, and we know that's the law, right? He just got through telling us in the previous verse, verse 12, did that which is good, or did the law become death to me? Okay. Was, was it the fault of the law? Did the law cause my death, my spiritual death? Did the law cause my spiritual death? And his answer, as was in the previous questions, was an absolute emphatic no. 
If you remember me saying this, it is the strongest negative in the Greek language. Absolutely not. How dare you even think such a thing? That's kind of how that is. No, a million times no is what he's trying to say. And it's important that we see that. It's important, I believe, that we understand that because the very nature of the law is at stake. In chapter 6, verse 1, as well as in verse 15, both questions that Paul asked and then answered had to do with law and sin. Okay? Paul has to guard the integrity of the law, what it is and what it isn't. When something is connected, folks, with the nature of God, like the moral law, that's definitely a connection with the nature of God. It's his moral standards. It must be protected. If you can't, connect, if you can't uh, protect the moral law of God, you're throwing God himself under the bus. So back to the question, did the law cause my death? He said, no. Sin and the effects of sin, death, have no connection with the law. There is no relation between the holy standards of God and the immorality of man. He continues to actually explain this, still in verse 13. He says, but... In order that sin might be recognized as sin, what does it say? It, meaning sin, it, what did it do? It produced death in me through what was good. Sin produced in me that death by using the law, if you want to phrase that in a different manner. Through what was good, through the law, sin produced death in me, the sin nature inside of me. See, now just to make a few points, Paul says it's sin, which simply meaning not the law, this is what his point is, sin, not the law, produced death in me. Okay, remember once again, they're thinking, what's the purpose of the law? This is what he's continuing to show them. Law is good. The law did not produce death in me. Our spiritual death is the fault of our own sin. It's not the law. The law does not cause sin. What does it do? It exposes it. It exposes it. Put as many commandments as you want, write them on a piece of paper, throw it up on your refrigerator, your rearview mirror, whatever you want to put it. At the end of the day, I'm not hoping you sinned, but chances are if you read every one of those moral standards that you put up there, you're going to go... Well, shoot, I failed. See, it exposes our sin. Verse 10 said, Paul said, I thought the commandment brought life, but it didn't, did it? It brought death. Paul found out that even if you try to live by the law, you can't. You will fail, meaning simply that you will sin, you will will fail. The sin inside of you put its hands up in the air, if you will, and said, I don't want righteousness and truth. I want it my way. All of us in this room, that's what we all do when we sin. When we sin, we're saying, I want it my way, God, not yours. 
That it's, it's no more simpler than that. That's what that means. The law is like a mirror, folks, that simply shows us who we really are. There had to be something out there to expose our sin. Something. There had to be a contrast. There had to be a right and a wrong. There had to be a good and an evil. And therefore, God has used his moral law to be the very antithesis of sin. The moral law of God is just that. It's moral perfection because it came from a holy God. We're not that way. So that, what that does, it's going to show us that we have fallen short of that perfect moral perfection. We are the antithesis of that. As Albert Barnes says, he says, No man knows his own heart until the law crosses his path and shows him what he is. Because that's what the law does. This is how Paul says sin can become utterly sinful in this verse. Sin can become utterly sinful. It's like I said earlier, when you compare sin versus sin, when you compare your sinful life to somebody else's sinful life, all you're doing is labeling yourself and saying, well, I'm not as bad as he is, right? That's what we get out of that. But when our sinfulness stands face to face with the law of God, there is no greater contrast. In all of its ugliness, Sin is shown for what it really is. See? Darkness, folks, cannot stand up to the light. It cannot. Light will always, it will win every time. Every time. And so from verses 7 through there, verses 13, Paul has made it clear the law is not sin. And it is not the cause of sin and death. Okay? As verse 12 said, the law is holy, it's righteous, good. Okay? As I've said before, folks, remember this, the law only goes so far. Right? Even though it does well to point out our sinfulness, it does well to be that mirror, it does well to be that contrast, it exposes us. Okay? It can't save us from the very sin it points out. We know it can't do that. It'll do well to tell us, oh, you've screwed up, but it can't fix it, okay? Paul's made it very clear throughout this letter that we are saved or salvation is by God's grace through our faith. The law has never, ever, anywhere in the entire Bible, the law has never been a means of salvation, ever, okay? Now, starting here in verse 14, Paul is going gonna, is gonna to be pretty open here about his personal life. Okay? And no, it's not his life in the past, because in the previous verses, Paul talked about his life in the past. Okay? He's also used, we, we know that based on what he has said, he's used past tense, he's used aorist tenses and so forth. But as we move forward in the Greek, he's now going to be speaking in the present tense. So he's speaking in the now if you will, as he continues. He's speaking as a believer in Christ, okay? Now, is it pretty? Well, not necessarily. He's speaking on the struggle that is going on inside of him, and I'm sure we can all attest to this. Paul is speaking of the struggle going on inside of him, that that present battle that wants to do 
everything we should do as believers in Christ. But there's that pull of the sin nature. You know, cartoons used to do that all the time, right? They put a little devil on one side of you and a little angel on the other. We all remember those growing up. He, it's when you want to do what the Lord wants you to do, but sin is just pulling you. It's pulling you. Paul's, and Paul's going to share this in his own heart, in his own life. And so he begins in verse 14 by saying this. He says, look it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. So he begins what I would call this final section of this chapter by stating without equivocation, okay, based on all of his previous statements, okay, he has not been depreciating the law. He's making this very clear of not been depreciating the law by saying we don't need it, we don't, you know, it's, we're, not, we're not under it, we don't live by it, blah, blah, blah. I'm not doing that, okay? Just because we're not saved by it, just because we're not sanctified by it, or just because we're not to live under it, doesn't mean the law isn't beneficial, and therefore, that's why he says, look it, the law is, quote, spiritual. Now, the word spiritual isn't getting metaphysical or anything. It just simply depicts that it's from God. The law is from God. And that should already be evident from verse 12. Because verse 12 said the law is righteous and it is holy. That wasn't going to be from anybody else. That had to be from God, right? Right? So Paul is saying the law is the holy standard, thus revealing his nature and his desire for his people. Okay? Therefore, affirming once again, the law is not the problem. Okay? He just simply says the law is spiritual. The law isn't the problem. It's what the law exposes that is the issue. And Paul tells us right here what that is. Right? He says the law is spiritual. But then what does he say? Guess what, guess what that exposed? That I am unspiritual. I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, he says. As he will explain through the remaining of this chapter, even though he was a faithful man of God, we all know that. Paul was a faithful man of God. He lived a sacrificial life. He was chosen by Christ himself to be an apostle. Yet he still had a remnant of sin within himself. It's there for all of us. And the way that Paul was able to recognize that was because he saw himself in contrast to the holy law. See, it was himself versus the law of God. That's why he was able to say, I'm unspiritual. See, once again, showing the, the value of the law. And this is the point he wants to get across to his Jewish readers. He's saying, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known that. If it wasn't for the law saying, here are the standards of Almighty God. And when I looked at my life and looked at that, I had to go, uh-oh. I couldn't have done that if it wasn't for the law of God. Now, when Paul says at the end of this verse that he was sold as a slave to sin, he was simply just expanding his remark on the fact that he's un 
spiritual. He's basically saying, I have this part of me, inside of me, that desires to rebel against the, the, the new redeemed me, right? I'm a new creation in Christ, right? I am a new redeemed person, but I got this, this thing inside of me, this, this sin principle that wants to rebel against that, even though I was created in Christ, You might want to say, Paul is telling everybody, you know what, we need to take this seriously because sin's hanging around. Take it seriously. Recognize that. You're not above sin. Matter of fact, in in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3, this is a, a decent time after King David was saved, okay, was a believer, if you will. But listen to what he says. But he prays to God, and David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always with me. That came from King David. King David understood after he was saved, this is a fight, this is a battle, it's a struggle. See? And he's coming before God saying, Lord, Lord you got to help me with this. you got to help me with this. How about Isaiah? Isaiah was a prophet of God, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now, I'm going to read the, the pretext to this, uh, in, starting in verse 1, b- because it shows you where they're at. It shows you what's taking place. So he says, In the year that, that King Uzziah died, listen to what Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, like it's a vision. I saw God Almighty seated on his throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, because they're in the throne room of God, right? They're calling to one another, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Before I read the next verse, I want you to understand that, that picture. Based on what he's looking at, what he's experiencing, what are Isaiah's next words? Woe to who? Me. Woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. How did he come about to realize that? Because of what he's seeing, the holiness of God. Now he looks at himself and says, oh man, I'm a, what was me? I, don't remember, I, I do not remember in Scripture Isaiah being some floozy. <laughs> he, he wasn't some horrible, depraved individual. But when he looked into the throne room of God, he realized, well, I, yeah, I am. Because now I know what I'm comparing myself to. You see, folks, the closer you are to God, or maybe today we can also say the closer we are to his word and understanding God, the more you're going to see his holiness and your own 
sinfulness. You don't have a choice. The more you see his holiness, the more you're going to see your sinfulness. In our present context here, the more you see God's character through the holy law, as Paul's talking about, the more your sinfulness is exposed. It's the same thing. So moving into verse 15, Paul opens himself up to his readers so as to help them to see what he himself, what he, the Apostle Paul, is dealing with. He said in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. No, this does not mean, folks, that Paul was living in ongoing sin and depravity. Okay? He's simply describing the present struggle with sin and its continuing efforts to control his daily life. It's not that Paul did not have the ability to do the right thing, but there were times in his life, and folks, just like no different from us, there are times in his life when he desired to honor God, when he wanted to faithfully obey the standards of Almighty God, But when he put his life up against the perfect law, he found that he did not meet those holy standards in totality. He fell short. No matter what he did, no matter what I want to obey, no matter how strong I want to be in Christ and live and honor and obey him, I realized I just can't do it perfectly. The things I want to do, I I, I end up doing and so forth, and it's a mess. As you know, folks, there's a difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. It's been said by people much smarter than myself that Paul tried to do both. His heart was right, his desires were good, but God's law demands perfection. And when that came up against his sinful nature, he says, guys, I I fail." Sometimes, not every time, but sometimes I really fail. I, I, I want to do the right thing. And I literally turn around catching myself doing, doing what I do not want to do. And therefore he admits, we'll close with this, but therefore he admits in verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Even though I'm not doing what I want to do, the law is good. Even when he fails to do what he wants to do, the law is still good. Remember who he's talking to. Remember his audience, right? He's talking to these Jews. Listen, I'm not kicking the law to the curb. I'm not stepping on it. It's God's holy law. But it's how it's used. What's its purpose? So what he's saying here is he knows, he agrees, he, he understands that his failure has nothing to do with the law. That's what he's saying. He, I know this. He just, it's like he's, look, I've said this, I've said A, B, and C. I know that, but let me explain it to you is what Paul is saying. My own sinful life is not the cause of the law. It had nothing to do with the law because he, he pointed that out prior. Okay. The law is not sin. The law does not cause sin. As the verse says, even though he was not able to do what he wanted to do, it's no fault of the law. He says, it is good. 
how could you say the moral law of God, the very word of God is not good? How could you not say that? The law is praiseworthy. How could it not be? It is God's perfect, holy, moral standards. God's written word reflects God's very nature. God's written laws on morality reflect His own morality. Therefore, His very nature, the essence of who God is. Therefore, it's, it's perfect. That's why He calls it holy and righteous and good. And therefore, as Paul will continue on throughout the remaining of this chapter, the, the culprit, the cause, the, the guilty party that we will continue to see is not the law, it's the sin within us. The law is doing the job by exposing our sin. See? And that's what we need to understand. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are not uh, under the law because we know if we wrote every law down and plastered it on the wall or even just every moral law that you've given and stuck it in our house Every day that we'd look at it, we'd recognize I failed. The next day I failed. The next day I failed. That's what we would do. Lord, we're thankful, as your word says, we live under and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And through that, we want to, if you will, fulfill the law. We want to obey. We want to be faithful. We want to overcome. But Lord, we know that the law does point out that we are failures. We know that we have sin within us. We have the very sin nature that we battle with. Our own heart, our own desire sometimes, it's like there's two of us. It's like we want to do what is right, like Paul said, but then I end up doing the very thing I don't want to do. Well, it doesn't mean that we can't honor you, and so we pray that we, would, we wouldn't just accept that, but, but we would understand there is sin living within us. And when we do fail, it's not the cause of your holy word. It's not the cause of the law. The law exposes our sin, and it helps us to see we need to confess that sin, repent of that sin, and turn to you. Even as the unbeliever needs to turn to faith in Jesus Christ, even as a believer, it, it helps us to see we need to uh, confront that sin and still deal with it, still talk to you about it, still repent, turn from it. So the law is still in use, Lord, to that extent to help us to see that we continually, not just at one time, we didn't just need you at the time of our salvation. We need you on a continual basis. Thank you for being there, and thank you for the forgiveness that you give. You didn't just forgive us that day. You forgave our past sins and our sins that are now and our sins that are going to be in the future. But, Lord, help us to still have that right relationship with you, even though we fall short. Help us to communicate and admit it and talk to you about it. In Jesus' name.